I feel the pressure's on having a round of applause before I start. Um, it might not be such the case after. Anyway, we'll see. Um, so how are we all doing? Good? Yeah, we're good? Wonderful. It's good to be meeting, isn't it? Um, now today, what I um, want to do is just have a look at something um, we're going to be starting in, the f- in a few weeks' time. We're going to start a teaching series on the Beatitudes. So this is kind of Matthew 5 onwards for a few chapters. And um, it's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus takes his disciples. He takes a large crowd. Um, we, we don't know how big the crowd was. And there's a bunch of estimates out there, but no one actually really knows. He goes up a mountain, and then he conducts the world's longest sermon, thought to have lasted several days. Now, I'm going to try and beat that today, um, a few panicked faces. Um, but um, so he's, he's, he starts his sermon. He starts it off with the Beatitudes. And the whole reason, I think, that he does this is that, and what we're going to be looking at today, is that the kingdom of God is coming And that was what Jesus was there for. So he had been baptized. He'd been through the wilderness, um, tempted by the devil. And then his, his purpose was to establish the kingdom of God. And as he started to do this, and as things started to happen that we're going to look at today, um, he then gathers people to teach them, to say, okay, so what does this look like? If the kingdom of God is at hand, if it's coming, what do we need to do? And so then you get this kind of massive teaching session. So it made me think a little bit about um, this last summer, um, or this summer that we're we're in at the moment. It's still summer, isn't it? Um, Okay, and... um, Rachel and I, we, we run a script union holiday and we needed a lifeguard. So Aidan um, went off and he trained to be a lifeguard. He couldn't be a lifeguard without the training. Um, so he had to go, he had to do the course, he had to understand what he needed to do, the protocols, all those kind of things that had to go in with being a lifeguard. And then he was qualified and he was able to then be a lifeguard. And it kind of made me think it's a little bit like that with Jesus. Oh, there's Aidan. Talking about you, Aidan. Not to you. Talking about you. Um, and it's, it's a little bit like that in the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus is like, okay, so I'm going to gather all these people. I need to teach them. I need to train them. I need to show them um, what is at hand and what is coming. Just leave that alone for me. Thank you. Um, and then, um, then people will understand what is happening. Slight difference is that we don't need a qualification and a bit of paper to be part of God's kingdom. Um, but all illustrations have some point of failure, don't they? So there we go. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what happens before the Beatitudes and to help us get this understanding. And I think if we, if we get the context, then when we start to look at the Beatitudes in a few weeks... Um, it will really, really help us. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It's going to come up on the screen. Um, And we're going to start at verse 12. Jesus begins to preach. I'm just going to read this first section. Um, Okay. So when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the sake of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Nebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So we're going to pause there for a minute. So the first thing I want to look at today is that the kingdom is coming. That's what this whole kind of bit of the passage is about. Now, I don't know if, um, if you keep up with what's happening in the news at the moment, um, if you watch it, read it, whatever, but there have been a number of reports of wildfires, haven't there? Um, so Hawaii, Canada, Greece, and devastating to read what has been happening. So the homes that are lost, the devastation of the areas, but even more tragic, the lives that have been lost. And I remember reading um, about the Hawaii fires um, um, a little while ago, and the reports were saying that the local authorities had failed the people because they hadn't warned them in enough time so that they could evacuate the area. But people living in areas where they're prone to wildfires, it's important that they get the warning, isn't it? Because they need to know what is coming, they need to know the danger that it poses, and they need to know what action that they can and should take. And in some ways, today's passage in Matthew, um, he's writing to tell us about something that is coming, something that is really important, that we need to prepare for, something that we need to know, that the kingdom of heaven is approaching. And we need to know what to expect and what action that we need to take. See, the kingdom of heaven is central to everything that Jesus was and he did and everything that the Gospels say about him. But actually, it can be quite remarkable how few of us struggle with this concept of the kingdom of heaven and what it actually means. So Matthew normally speaks of the kingdom of heaven, where other Gospels refer to the kingdom of God. Now, why is this? Why is there a difference in this? Well, apparently, the saying heaven instead of God was a traditional Jewish way of avoiding the word God out of reverence and respect. So they would say the kingdom of heaven, and they would know what that meant. They would know that meant the kingdom of God. See, the trouble is, sometimes when it comes to us thinking of the kingdom of heaven, our mind goes to heaven where we go to after death. And actually, if you think about it, that kind of kingdom in heaven up there after um, life, how can that come to earth? That is, it, that it's, it feels like it's a bit of an odd thing for that to be approaching to be arriving. Where if the kingdom of heaven is the same as the kingdom of God, um, then it helps us have a much clearer idea of what Jesus had in mind when he was talking. See, everybody around that time, they would have understood what it meant to um, when people talked about kingdoms, um, and they would have understand. See, any first century Jew, um, they hearing someone talk about God's kingdom, that would have been clear for them, um, and they would have known what it meant in terms of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And for them, it meant revolution was coming. See, Jesus grew up in the shadow of kingdoms, didn't he? There was um, 60, some 60 years before his homeland was taken over by the Romans. 
Um, they appointed Herod the Great and his son after that. And they were kind of almost um, puppet monarchs to do, their, to do the Romans' dirty work for them. And most Jews actually really resented this and they really longed for change. And they were eager for the freedom that came with that. They wanted it because they believed that God, um, um, they, they believed in God and that God's kingdom one day would come. That's what they'd been taught. So they knew that there was a new kingdom afoot and they knew that God would reign them and the world. But for them, they had this mindset of a kind of military overthrow of the local, um, the local authority at the time. But actually, for them, as they looked at it, they didn't understand why them, as God's people, had um, pagans ruling them and, and in authority over them. See, they knew their scriptures. They knew that God had promised something new um, and that one day he would be king of Israel and the whole world. But this would be a kingdom that would bring peace and justice, um, who would turn the kind of world upside down and there will be a new way of doing things. God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is what they longed for, what they prepared for, what they were willing to give their lives for. And now Jesus was there declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. His sovereign rule was approaching like a wildfire. They needed to prepare. They needed to be ready. They needed to know what they, that they needed to do. See, if justice and peace are on their way, then those who have almost twisted justice and, the disturbed, and disturbed peace could find themselves in trouble. So they'd better act, they'd better make a change as the new kingdom was coming. The Bible uses the word repent for this. Um, and so often when it comes to this very Christian word of repent, people think it just means that I need to feel sorry for the things that I've done and feel bad about them. Um, but the Bible talks about it actually making a change in direction, completely going the other way, in the opposite way, instead of the way that you are going. So stopping and turning. And how we actually feel about our lives and the things that we do isn't so important. It's more important about what we do and the actions that we take. Um, because if we're going in the wrong direction, we need to make that change so that we're going in the right direction. See, the local people, they were bent on this revolution, the standard kind, the military um, overtake and getting rid of the occupying forces and leading to this new power. But that wasn't the kind of kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. As I say, it's a kingdom of peace that Jesus was bringing about. And actually, before this passage, if you have time to read it this week, it's Jesus tempted in um, the wilderness. And actually, part of this, um, there was a suggestion from the devil, from the evil one, that he should take his own status as God, as the Messiah, to launch this some kind of movement that would sweep in um, and it would put him into power, into privilege, and into glory. But the problem with this kind, of, um, this kind of movement was that it was almost fighting darkness with darkness. And Israel was called, 
And Jesus was called to bring light to the world. So this is why I think Matthew then links Jesus' early preaching with the prophecy of Isaiah. And it spoke about people being in darkness and then dazzled by a bright and sudden light. It's a prophecy that goes on to then speak about a child that is to be born, the coming Messiah through whom God would liberate Israel um, at last. So that's Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. See, Jesus could see that the standard kind of rev- revolution, the fighting, um, the killing in order to put an end to the fighting and the killing was almost like a nonsense. Um, and it was almost a blasphemy in God's name, trying to usher God's kingdom in in a violent way. It was going against what everything God stands for. And many of those people around him were just eager to get on with the fight. And his message of repentance was not where they were going. Um, And they... um, and the fact that they should um, feel sorry for the things that they're doing and making that change. But as a nation, they almost needed to stop rushing towards this cliff edge of violent revolution and go the other way towards God's kingdom of light and peace, healing and forgiveness for themselves and for the whole world. See, what would happen if they didn't? What would happen if they didn't make this change? Well, as we go through Matthew's gospel, we start to see how this story um, develops and we begin to realize that actually if the light bearers, the people that are called into God's kingdom, um, insist on darkness, then darkness they will have. If the people that are called to peace insist on war, then war they shall have. If the people called to bring God's love and forgiveness into the world insist on hating everyone else, then hatred and all that it brings will come crashing around their ears. See, this won't be an arbitrary judgment or punishment. It will be them themselves and what they're calling um, upon themselves. And this is why, this is why there must be the repentance, the change, the, the different direction, because the kingdom of God is coming and they are standing in the way. And it was so important that Matthew was there telling people and written it down here for us to read because the message of the coming kingdom was so important that people needed to prepare and get ready. And the message is just as urgent for us today Um, because we live on this side of the events of the cross don't we we know the sacrifice that has happened um, and the way that Jesus has established the kingdom through his work his death and his resurrection on the cross and we are faced with this same challenge will we extend God's kingdom in the world or will we stand in its way so fundamentally um The reason Matthew writes this passage is to show that God's kingdom is coming. Secondly, we are called to God's kingdom. We're going to carry on reading in Matthew 4, um, 18 to 25 now. So Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Jesus said, 
and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought him um, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So if you go down to Galilee today, um, you may see a boat that was discovered in the Sea of Galilee in 1986. And here's the report of the finding of this boat. Um, so the remains of the ancient Galilean boat were found by two fishermen brothers. The brothers were keen amateur archaeologists with an interest in discovering artifacts. Um, from Israel's past. And obviously in the area there were a huge amount of artifacts anyway, but to find this one was pretty amazing. It had always been their hope that one day they would discover a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Um, and their family themselves had fished for generations there. So there was a drought and the Sea of Galilee had reduced quite a lot. The water level of the lake was down. And the two brothers, they went out and they examined a newly exposed beach and they stumbled across the remains of the boat buried in the shore. So the brothers then reported this discovery to the authorities who sent out a team um, to investigate this discovery. And they realized that the boat was of tremendous um, historical importance to both Jews and Christians alike. And so a dig followed, undertaken by members of the Israel Authority and a bunch of volunteers. There was rumours that spread that the, ba the boat contained gold, um, so it had to be guarded night and day. The, um, getting the boat out from the mud without damaging it was tough, and they had to do it quickly um, before the water erose, uh, rose up, and um, all the atmosphere was starting to damage the boat as well. So um, it was, the process lasted 12 days and nights, um, and the ancient wood was extremely fragile. So they rescued it from the place, and they wrapped it in this mantle of fiberglass, um, and they then um, floated the boat down to its new location. The boat was then submerged in um, a wax bath for 12 years, which protected the boat, and now it's displayed for all to see. Which I think is pretty amazing, don't you? Yeah? Um, so this is a special exhibit um, down um, in, um, uh, did I say it was in Israel? Yeah, it's in Israel. Um, so millions of people go to see it. And it's thought that it is a typical boat that would have been used by some of Jesus' first followers for fishing. And they've tried to date it, um, and they think it's exactly that kind of period around Jesus' life. And the reason I tell you this is that the boat is, the, is there today for us to see. And in some ways, it's this vivid reminder of the day-to-day -day existence of his followers and what it costs them to give up everything to follow Jesus. 
They were in today's world, they would be kind of deemed small businessmen. Um, they would have been working as families, not for huge profit, enough to pay their bills, get by, maybe a little extra to help. Um, but they wouldn't have been um, rich by any means. But the fish were plentiful and there were good markets. It was a multicultural area. There were soldiers, travellers, pilgrims and dealers. They were coming and going. There was a local population as well. People would want what they were selling. But it was hard work. Sometimes it was even dangerous work. Um, but why did they give it all up to follow this wandering preacher? Well, I guess the same question faces people today, doesn't it? There are countless stories of people giving up promising careers to follow Jesus, to be a pastor, to be a missionary, walking away from a job that earns lots to living by faith. I remember hearing a guy speaking um, one time, and he told us how when he was growing up, his dad left his job um, that was fairly well paid um, to become a taxi driver. And this put a lot of strain on the family. And um, he really resented his dad for many years uh, because of it, because they were almost breadline, that they um, didn't have enough money for the things that they wanted. And this guy really, really resented his dad um, for it. And one day this came to a head, um, and they were having an argument about it. And he said, why did you change jobs? Why did you become a taxi driver? And his dad turned around to him. He said, every day, son, I get to sit in the car with people. They have nowhere to go and I get to tell them about Jesus. That was his whole reason for doing it. He left his, his well-paid job to be a taxi driver to tell people about Jesus. So why do people do it? Well, the only answer, the only answer can be because of Jesus, isn't it? His presence in us now and today, just as the first disciples felt his presence some 2,000 plus years ago. See, sometimes Jesus' call on our lives can be slow, starting almost like a faint murmur and growing until we can ignore it no more. Sometimes he calls people suddenly and dramatically, and we can all think of stories um, where, we've, where we've heard that in people in the Bible and around us. He called Peter and Andrew, James and John. But when that happens to us, we will know the calling of Jesus. Whatever place we're in, we will know Jesus has a way of getting through to us. Whatever we're engaged with, whatever nets we're mending, our day-to-day -day things that we're doing, um, we know that Jesus is calling. I think we won't ever really know what we're being asked to do when we follow I don't think that um, when Jesus said to the disciples, you'll now be catching, um, you'll be fishers of men. I don't think they really knew what that meant, do you? No? Um, yeah, so when Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, um, what, did, what did they think? Did they know that, um, the, the, um, how the people in question would feel about it? Did they have any inkling that both of, both of them would end up being crucified? because of Jesus. I don't think they did. Would they have signed up if they did? Did James, brother of John, have the slightest idea that a few years from then he would be killed by Herod? I don't think he did. See, God in his mercy, he reveals little by little. But equally, Peter didn't know when he was called by Jesus that he would lead this huge church in Rome. 
um, and it would be dedicated in his memory. Or Andrew, um, he never knew that when he followed Jesus, that whole countries, Scotland, Greece and Russia, would regard him as their patron saint. See, when they were called by Jesus, they knew neither the glory nor the pain that lay ahead of them. Just that one day when a young man was walking by the Sea of Galilee in their hometown on um, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and, they called, and he called them, they didn't know what was ahead. All they saw was him, and that was enough for them. And actually, is that the case for us today? I think so often we want to know, what can we get out of this? What does it mean for us? What's in it for me? Um, but actually, with these guys, when, as we read in Matthew 4, and we look at the, their calling, it was simply Jesus and being with him that drew them. But then equally, it was not just um, his, his personal magnetism that drew people from hundreds of miles around to seek Jesus across the region. It was also the remarkable healings that people heard about. So the next part of this passage that we've just read. And Matthew goes on to tell us more stories about healings in the coming chapters. But in this bit, he just kind of summarizes what is happening to help us get an understanding of what was going on around that time. He tells us how this word suddenly went out to people in the area. And um, they, would, um, they were coming with all kinds of illness and disease. And... Um, and, and they were wanting healing. Because if we think about it, life before modern medicine as we know it, we can't really imagine what it would have been like to carry these diseases, these, this, the, the disease and the illness um, around. But that hope that there was a way of getting healed from that would have drawn people to Jesus. Um, and... Historians today, they agree that that is probably one of the, the few explanations as to why Jesus drew, drew, um, drew such large crowds to him, because he did have remarkable powers of healing. But the thing for Jesus is the healing was important, but it wasn't his sole thing. It wasn't the main thing that he was doing. See, the healing was just a glimpse of what was to come, the coming kingdom that he was there to establish, the new thing that God was doing through him, God's kingdom, God's sovereign and saving rule that was about to be unleashed upon Israel and the world through him. And with all of this stuff happening, how could healing not come? How could healing not be there? See, these fishermen, they soon found themselves um, leaving their nets and caught up in large crowds of people. They were in the thick of it. Um, and what would draw those large crowds today? Well, if you think about our nation, um, there's entertainment. Um, so we drove um, yesterday, we thought we'd go for a walk up at uh, Lee Valley, and there's like some big concert thing there. And there was hundreds of young people walking along, and we were like, no, we're going to go to Epping Forest. Um, and off we went to Epping Forest. But it draws large crowds, doesn't it? These big music events, um, football um, also, um, music, firework displays, national tragedies, like the death of our monarch, um, it draws large crowds, but, and major disasters as well. But what would it take 
today to draw that large crowd for us that would send people off with this new message of something new is coming, that everyone should come quickly. The urgency that Matthew writes about in this chapter, almost like that wildfire, something is coming. What would it take for people to hear about that today, to come to know Jesus? So this is where we find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew. So in summary, Jesus was baptized. He was commissioned by God and tested in the wilderness. Then he preached about the coming kingdom of God. He called his followers to the coming kingdom. He healed the sick um, and drew large crowds as a sign of the coming kingdom. And then Jesus gathers on a mountain to teach them, to spend time with them, to truly know what it means to be part of God's kingdom. Because the kingdom is coming, and people needed to understand, they needed to be taught about this coming kingdom. So God's kingdom is coming, and we are called to the kingdom. And I guess for us today, um, we know that the kingdom of God is here, don't we? Um, and our job as believers is to tell people about it. And there needs to be that same urgency. But as I was looking at this this week, I was really, really struck by um, that thought, the fact that we could be in the way of God's kingdom. We could be in the way of people coming to, um, to know God, because we are called to be those light bearers, as I said a little bit earlier. Um, and I wonder if today that is, um, that is where we need to spend some time in prayer. Um, and the fact that as light bearers, we need to usher in the light and not the darkness. Um, we need to usher in God's forgiveness and not hatred into the world. We need to usher in um, forgiveness and not judgment and punishment. We need, to, we need to ourselves be repenting of these things so we're not standing in the way of the kingdom. And I know that the reality of this is it's hard for us, isn't it? For us to realize that actually we have these things within us and we need to make that change. Um, because we are ambassadors for the Lord. We are ambassadors. People look at us and hopefully they see Jesus. Hopefully they see the way we act, the things that we do, and they see Jesus through it. So are we ushering in the light in the kingdom of God, or are we standing in its way? It may also be that there are people here today, or even watching online, um, that this is the kind of first time that people are thinking about that calling as the disciples were called into the kingdom. And it might be that somebody wants to know more about that, and we'd love to talk to you. So as the band come back up and we continue to worship, I want us to take that opportunity to pray um, and to ask God, what are you saying to me today? What do I need to respond to in this? Is it something that maybe I've been harboring for years and years, um, resentment or something, I don't know, um, and I need to repent of that? and turn away because it's not ushering in the light and the kingdom of God. So let's pray and let's see what the Lord does. Why don't you stand with me?
Father God, I want to thank you that you love us. I want to thank you that your kingdom, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here to change our nation and our world. And I pray, Lord, that we would be bearers of light. That we would be people that are called by name to stand for your kingdom. And that we, excuse me, would not get in the way of your kingdom coming. And I pray, Lord, that for those of us here that are listening to this, if there are things that we need to change, we need to repent of, and we need to change in our lives, that you would help us make that difference. That we wouldn't be feeling bad and sorry and guilty, but we would take action in it. We would come to you. We would ask for forgiveness, and we would physically make a change, Lord. That your spirit would be guiding and prompting us now. And Lord, I pray that if, um, if there's people that are listening to this now, that don't know you or your kingdom and want to say yes to you for the first time, that again, we would come forward and get prayer, knowing that you are a God who changes lives. In Jesus' name we pray.